Man, well, it's good to be here with you guys. That is a very genuine statement. It's so good uh, to be with you. And um, just be honest, I'm really uh, just grateful to God. I'm just so grateful to God um, for all that he's done over the course of this last year and for the things I've heard him doing in this church and that I get to be a part of now with my family. I uh, just very honestly privileged, feel very privileged and humbled um, to be your pastor and excited to get to know you. Um, thank you so much for just the warmth of the way you guys have welcomed us. Um, that's just been incredible. I mean, my family very much so felt that way. And I want to also just stop and say thank you so much to all the guys who've been preaching for four months at least, right? I mean, seriously, yeah. Thank you so much. Um, and applause is great, um, but you should totally go give them a hug, buy them dinner, whatever. Just, I mean, these guys have full-time jobs, and they're giving up of their free time to study and prepare and deliver to you God's word, and that is no easy task. And uh, you guys have done a really good job at that. And so I'm just really grateful to God um, for all of you guys and all that you've done. Um, I really do think exciting days are ahead. Um, I really feel that way. Um, but I don't feel that way because of myself. I don't feel that way because of something that I have to offer this church, really. I feel that way because Jesus really is our lead pastor. And he's our chief shepherd. And he's the one who's going to guide us into the future. And so that makes me really excited and um, so I'm, I'm really hopeful uh, for what he has in store for us here. Um, with that said, if you have a Bible, um, please grab it and open it up to the book of 1 John. It's going to be in the very back of your Bible. Um, there's three Johns, um, and there's only one John who wrote three letters there at the back. But 1 John is where we are this morning. And um, I've really thought a lot, and I've prayed a lot leading up to this time, this moment here, about what part of scripture we should go through as a church as we begin this new season, really, after we've ended this season of transition and we begin a next season here at GBC. Um, and that's really difficult to prayerfully assess, I think, as a pastor when I don't really know you guys very well yet. Um, so I kept coming back to this wonderful letter of 1 John just time and time again and thought there's really no better way for us to move into the future together as a church than I think to rally around this letter and its truth that it presents to us, the truth of the gospel. And it's my hope that we would discover or rediscover what it is that Jesus produces in our lives. And that's what this letter really shows us. Um, simultaneously, God has really been uh, working on my heart uh, to have a greater love for this city. Uh, there have been many moments over the last month um, where I've been very broken for this city. And I've been really grateful to God as I've been able to meet with different people, other pastors, like Jason who's here. God's really used him in my life to have a heart for this city. And as I've been praying, um, uh, I've been praying what Jesus commanded us to pray in uh, the Lord's Prayer, that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done here in Gresham as it is in heaven. And we can talk a lot, I think, about seeing a city like Gresham a city like Portland or our state or the world at large, transformed, or we could pray that God's kingdom would come to a city like ours. And we should be praying those things. But nonetheless, I think oftentimes, at least when I pray those kinds of prayers, I'm just envisioning God's kingdom coming somewhere out there. It's just, you know, as if God is like a Mary Poppins or something and waves a, a wand and then just the kingdom appears out in our city. But that's not how God 
primarily works. God primarily works. His plan A is through his church. And so as we pray God's kingdom would come here in this city and that his will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying that the kingdom would come and just light up our lives, that Jesus' rule, reign, and authority would take shape in our church. And as we are sent out on a weekly basis into our community, that's how God works. That's how the kingdom of God spreads. And so that's the question. How do we live this side of heaven as the people of God? What is it that we should be believing? What is it that we struggle to believe? What is it that we need to be reminded of over and over again because we so often forget it? Well, it's my hope and prayer that God would use First John to shape us into the kind of people that he is creating here on this earth for his glory. Um, and so it's as a result, though, that our prayer, I think, should be that Jesus' glory would be displayed in this time and in this place, such as time as this. So let's read together these first four verses, this prologue here of this letter, First John. So read with me here, starting in verse 1. It says this, That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father, it was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you, too, may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things, so that our joy may be complete. Uh, Lord Jesus, we do want to ask you this morning that our hearts uh, would be quieted before you, uh, that we would leave this place just so impressed with you. And Holy Spirit, in this time, you would um, apply your word to our lives. Help us to understand what we don't understand. Help us to believe what we struggle to believe. And help us to see what we need to see. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so again, there's three letters here. At the end of your Bible, with John's name attached to it, John was an apostle. He was one of the inner circle of Jesus' followers. He was also the author of the Gospel of John. And you will notice that the beginning of John's Gospel sounds very similar to the beginning of this letter here, 1 John. Uh, it's just important to get this out of the way here, but John isn't writing to a particular church. He's not just addressing some issue that's going on in one church, you know, like the letter of Ephesians or Galatians or things like that, right? He's writing really to a generic audience. That's what John is doing. And at the heart of his concern is actually the purity of the gospel and not distorting or adding to it. Because there was beginning to be these teachers that were coming along inside of the church, and they weren't trying to necessarily destroy Christianity in their minds. They were trying to improve it. That's what they were trying to do. And there, so there was the beginnings here of this uh, belief system called Gnosticism, which um, really comes from the Greek word um, gnosis, meaning knowledge. And essentially, just the, the bare bones of this is uh, Gnostics believe that the physical was bad and the spiritual was good. And so how that was affecting the church's belief about Christ was primarily they were beginning to deny his humanity. And they were just pretending to believe that he was only divine. And so this is in John's mind, I believe, as he's writing this kind of letter. But why does this matter so much to John? Why should this matter so much to us? Well, according to our passage this morning, it's actually fellowship 
It's, it's the idea of fellowship. It's true fellowship that's at stake here in his mind. This term fellowship, koinonia, you've probably heard that. No one even knows Greek, but you've probably heard koinonia before, right? Um, it's found only four times in 1 John, and it's never found in 2 John, 3 John, or the Gospel of John. It's only found four times, this word, and it's right here at the beginning of this letter in verse 3, 6, and 7. That's all the places that it's found. And what John is really concerned about is to bring his readers, and therefore, it's to bring you. Uh, yes, you, right? Into fellowship. This is the goal. This is the goal. Uh, anybody in here a goal setter? Anybody like setting goals? I like that you guys actually raise your hands. That's good. Yeah. Uh, goal setters. I love setting goals. Okay, I really love setting. It doesn't have to be New Year's, okay? And I'm going to set some goals. I'm not so great at maybe keeping up to those goals, but I love setting goals. I like the idea of that. Goals are important because they point you, what, towards a desired outcome, right? They give you an aim in life, what you're wanting to, to end up, you know, someday at. What, what's your goals, right? What are your aims? Do you ever give much thought to that? What's your aim? Uh, what's our goal as a church? Like, what's our aim? What, what about this? Does the gospel have a goal? Does the gospel have a goal? Well, it actually does. The reality of fellowship, which I hope we see today in this passage, is the goal of the gospel. Fellowship is the goal. It's, it's the heartbeat of God, and it should be the heartbeat of our church, although it might not mean all that you think it means. And so here, uh, what we're going to see this morning, if I could, okay, I did it, sweet. Um, here we see this morning, uh, in these short four verses here, the initiator of fellowship the basis of true fellowship, and then the nature of true fellowship. That's what we need to see here this morning, okay? So here we go. Let's read again verses 1 through 2. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we've seen it, we testify to it, we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So John, guys, he's affirming the reality of Jesus eternally. He says, from the beginning. This is like the very beginning, right? Before anything, right? He's from the beginning, so eternally. But he's also affirming the reality of Jesus historically and experientially in these short verses here. Notice that he calls Jesus what? The word of life. That's what he calls him in verse 1. At the end of verse 1, that's the subject. It's the word of life. It's Jesus. So all of these things here are firsthand experiences for John. He's the word of life, which seems really abstract to us, but he's using that phrase to refer to a person. Because how do we know this? He goes, well, he was from the beginning. That sounds kind of abstract. But we've heard him. I, I heard his teaching. I, you know, I heard him laugh, whatever. Like, he heard Jesus, Right? Right? He said, I've seen him with my eyes. So this isn't just like a radio vi experience. This is a video experience too. I've seen him, guys. I've, I've looked at him, which is not just him repeating himself, you know, as if he's stumbling over his words. It actually means to examine something. I mean, it's kind of like if I went to the gro like Fred Meyer to get avocados or something. And uh, my wife's like, did you see avocados? I'm like, yeah, I saw avocados and I grabbed some. That's not what she means by, did you, you know, did you see? Like, I, I need to look at the avocados, don't I? Because we all know if I just see avocados and grab them, 
I don't know what I'm getting, right? I got to examine. I got to look at the avocados, test them out, that kind of thing to know. Is this, is this a good avocado to get? That's right, the difference between just seeing avocados or looking at avocados. And that's what he means. I've examined Jesus. That which our hands have touched. I've touched him. I've touched him. I'm actually surprised he didn't say I smelled him. You know, he's just talking about all of his senses here. Like, like I, he was real. Jesus is real. It's clear right away that when John says we proclaim concerning the word of life, he has in mind something much more than just a message. He proclaims the word of life, which he has heard, he's seen, he's touched. And it's going to become very clear in the next few verses. He proclaims a message that has been embodied in a person, the person of Jesus. You guys, Jesus is real. And I know when I say that, you go, yeah, really? That's all you're going to tell? You know? He's real. He's very real. He's the real deal. He's 100% God. And he's 100% man. Like, this is amazing, okay? This is amazing. Just think about this. Don't lose the wonder of this. Okay? I know it's not Christmas yet, but here it is, right? Here in our world of violence, in our world of foolishness, in our world of betrayal, in this world, God came down. And it happened 2,000 years ago in Jesus. The real life concreteness of God's visit, that's John's focus. That's where he begins. Do not think of Jesus as just this moral idea, you know, dependent on us for him to be real. No, Jesus came into real history as a fact that's completely external to you, all because of God's grace. That's the only reason why he came. John is describing a unique event in all of human history. The eternal God entered time. The invisible God became touchable. And through Jesus' incarnation, through his sinless life, through his death in our place, and through his defeat over sin and death that he exemplified in rising from the dead, he has secured a hopeful future for all of creation. And there is no power on earth that can stop what Jesus did. Do you realize how unique this is? It's, It's so unique, in fact, that people have struggled to believe this reality by faith. And that's exactly what's already happening during John's time. People struggle with this. It doesn't make sense to them. Right? There was a movement that was beginning where people were either denying the divinity of Jesus, saying he was just an amazing person, you know, he was, he was just a man. And there were others that were beginning to say that Jesus wasn't really human, he was just divine. Guys, this is so unique. And the truth that is held out to us in the scriptures that says Jesus is fully God with the Father from the beginning, yet he's also fully man, that, that's historically called the hypostatic union of Jesus, and there's nothing like it on this earth. You won't find it anywhere. Um, R.G. Lee... I think famously said, Jesus was the only man who had a heavenly father, but no heavenly mother, who had an earthly mother, but no earthly father, who was older than his mother and who was as old as his father. Even reading that, I'm like, what? You know, it's just kind of like, wow, that's amazing. Okay. But just think about that. I mean, every belief system in the world will tell you how to find God. They're going to point you towards a path or something. 
And it puts the weight and the burden on you to do the searching, to do the climbing, to do the performing. Every religion tries to point the way and give you steps or tips or clues on how to get to God. Only in Christianity are we told the opposite, guys, that God has come to find you. See, there are a lot of things about Christianity that are really hard to believe, and this is definitely one of them. Anybody who's a genuine believer knows this. Just because you believe something doesn't mean you're like, oh yeah, it totally makes sense. No, that's not the case at all, is it? And that's how anybody who gets into Christianity and takes it seriously will feel. But it doesn't mean that it's not true. Uh, Alvin Plantiga, he's a Christian philosopher, he described how we often struggle to simply believe things because we can't understand it and see it clearly at the time. And I, he's always, he said this thing that's always been helpful to me. He just said this, if you're in a dark street and you lost your keys, okay, just somewhere on the street, and there's a street lamp, it's one thing to say that you'll start looking for your keys underneath the street lamp because there's lights there and you can see. He says it's a whole other thing to say that keys can't possibly be outside the light because it's dark where I can't see. So it makes complete sense to go, I'm going to start looking under the light. Maybe they're there. It's complete foolishness to say that they can't be outside of that because I can't see it. I can't perceive it. I can't understand it. That's the same thing. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not true. And John says this is not a theory that we've accepted because we can explain it all. We believe this because Jesus rose from the dead and we saw him. We touched him. We felt the wounds in his body after he was resurrected. There is nothing subjective about this at all. John is saying there is nothing subjective about the incarnation or the life or the death or the resurrection of Jesus. We actually touched him. You say, well, John got to see Jesus and touch him. That's great for John, right? What good does that do for me? I'm really glad you asked that. That's a great question. Man, you guys are great. Um, John 20, 29, Thomas, he doubted. He saw Jesus, and what did he, Jesus let him touch him, right? The senses, what does he say? Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who do not see and yet believed. See, Jesus has come, this word of life, this message John is talking about, this gospel, it has a goal, and that goal is to bring you to God, to restore you into fellowship with God. He's the initiator of fellowship, but even more so, he's the basis for our fellowship. That's what we see in verse 3. He says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, it's a good word, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So the goal of the gospel is fellowship, bringing you back to God. John has seen, he's heard Jesus, he's touched him with his own hands, and John proclaims this message, this gospel, this good news that God has come in the flesh and he proclaims this to you so that you too, even you this morning, yes, you, that you may have fellowship with us. That's what he says. But the basis for fellowship isn't merely friendship with other Christians. It's not what that means. The basis of our fellowship is what? He says what? Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That's the basis. That's where the fellowship is birthed from. That's where it's, what it's revolving around. That's the foundation here. It's, it's with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, 
If you're anything like me, you, you hear these words all the time, and you just kind of use them, in your, and if you slow down, you're like, what does that even mean? Like, what is, what is fellowship? Okay, can we just talk about that for a second? Like, what is fellowship? When I say that word, some of you might already begin to smell. You think you smell coffee or something. You know, you're like, oh, wow, is that coffee? You know, you just, you're triggered, you know, by these words in, in different ways, you know? Is it getting coffee with somebody? Is it eating a meal with, with somebody? Is that what fellowship is? You know, when I was growing up, uh, our, our church building had something we called the fellowship hall. You know, and we'd have potlucks out there, you know, so we would eat and even call a room a fellowship place, you know, or we have fellowship break here, you know, which is a great word. But unless, like, what does this really mean? I mean, are we, what is it? Is it eating and talking? How do I have fellowship with God if I can't eat with God? Like, he doesn't get in the potluck line, you know? So, like, how do I, how do I fellowship with God? But even more so, contrary to the way we often function, fellowship isn't merely friendliness, that's not all it is. It's not just being friendly, which we can mean that sometimes or think that way. So what is it? What is it? I say fellowship is much more than friendliness because the biblical idea is essentially the idea of being face-to-face with somebody. That's the biblical idea of fellowship. It's to be face-to-face with somebody else, which if we're being really honest, uh, that sounds kind of awkward, doesn't it? To be face-to-face with somebody. Like, there's very few people in my life that I can be face-to-face with them and not feel uncomfortable. Like, if we were talking today, and you know, you know, like, the close talkers, the people in the world who are close talkers, they're just too close, and you're constantly, what? You're not like, this is great. No, you're kind of backing up, aren't you? Why? Because they're, they're too close. The idea of being face-to-face is what? It's, a, it's an intimate place, isn't it? I mean, I can really only be comfortable being face-to-face with, like, my kids and my wife, And even my wife just backs up often. You know what I mean? So there's not even a lot of that. But nonetheless, this idea of being face-to-face, of having fellowship is, it's an intimate thing, right? There's a depth to it, isn't there? See, fellowship is is actually a deep sharing of things in common. That's what it is. It's a deep sharing. It's not just being friendly. It's sharing. Well, what do we have in common? What are we sharing? Well, according to this text... It's the message, isn't it? That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you have fellowship with us. Somehow by giving this message out and doing something with it, that produces the fellowship. There's something that we have in common, and it's this message. It's this person. John is proclaiming the word of life so that the message and the person of Jesus gives us this commonality. It's how we have our fellowship. Well, what brings the fellowship? It's relational depth and intimacy with God and with each other. It's Jesus. It's this gospel message. It's belief. It's rallying around this and staking my life on it. That gives me my fellowship. This means that you can't experience fellowship with God and not be in fellowship with other believers. And it also means that I can't have true fellowship with other believers and not be in fellowship with God. And John gets into that more next week. But don't miss the basis of this, though. Scripture lays down for us this basis here in verse 3. Our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. Because Jesus came and the eternal word has been made manifest, since he's initiated this fellowship, it's through him that we have this fellowship. He's the means. He's the mediator. He's the channel, the, the link, the connection, whatever have you. Jesus Christ, then, he's the source. He's the fountain of all true fellowship. 
I mean, just we, we, know, we know this intuitively. For example, I couldn't have just joined the Tucker family. I could never have, I can't just show up at Steve and Donna's door one day and say, I want to be a part of your family. I could never have done that, right? That would be weird, wouldn't it? Right? I have a connection though, right? I have a channel. I have a through person, right? A mediator. I married Elizabeth, who's a part of the Tucker family. Because of her, I'm now a part of this family, right? She's my through person. It's through Jesus that I have fellowship, that I can have real fellowship with God and therefore with other people. See, this idea of being, this is the basis, right? It's, it's a good word because it implies the ground, the foundation, the bedrock, the structure. If that's what everything else is built upon, if our fellowship, even in your friendships, if the entire fellowship of our church, the churches of this whole city and throughout this world, if our basis is Jesus, if, if it's the word of life, and you guys, we have a, a bedrock to that fellowship that can never be ripped away don't we? It's not something that just comes and goes. It's, it's extremely secure. And we all know this. Uh, your foundation is completely and utterly the most important thing. I mean, I once found this house years ago. Me and my wife were looking for a house, and we were very poor, and there was this amazing house, and it was in our price range. And we're like, how is this even possible? And we're looking around. We're like, this is too good to be true. We get to the very end, and the realtor says, yeah, it needs a new foundation, you know? And I was like, oh, how much do those cost, you know? And, oh, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, whatever it is. And I couldn't have just gone, oh, who cares, you know? I could have, but I would have been a complete fool, wouldn't I? And the bank wouldn't have given me the loan, wouldn't they? Because we all know, if you don't have that good foundation, who cares what the rest of the house looks like when the big one hits, right? All that stuff is, is not going to be there anymore, is it? Like, we know the importance of having a foundation that's unshakable. And for some of us, our foundation with other people is merely maybe shared interests, isn't it? It's not bad, is it? But is that all? Maybe it's a shared season of life. All of our kids are the same age or whatever it is, you know? Maybe it's just a shared way of seeing the world. You know, we both see the world the same way, so that is the basis for our, our friendship, right? Or it's shared values about family or schooling or whatever, or it's shared vocations. We're all engineers, you know? Whatever it is, like we have this commonality, which is great, but our basis for true fellowship, it's not our backgrounds, you guys. It's not our high schools. It's not our musical preference. It's not even Gresham. It's Jesus. He's the one who unites us. What unites us together in fellowship is this initiator of fellowship. It's Jesus. If you know Jesus, you are united in fellowship to so many people in here. So many. And all over the city and all over this world. Fellowship is a much bigger idea than just talking. You are united in fellowship to all these people. You are united with the deepest bedrock as the basis for your fellowship. And it can't be ripped away from you. It can't. Just think of all that Jesus has done for you. Just consider all that Jesus has done for you to bring you home, to bring you into fellowship. He died so that you could live. He stopped breathing so that you could start breathing this morning. He gave up his life so that you could start living the one you were meant to live. 
He endured wrath so that you could receive God's enduring love. He took justice so that you could have mercy. He took death so that you could receive life. He took abandonment so that you could receive acceptance. He took rejection so that you could receive approval. He took judgment so that you could receive grace. He took loss so that you could receive gain. He became poor so that you could become spiritually rich. He was cut off so that you could be brought in. He set aside his glory so that you could experience God's. He came so that you could be brought home. But just think about this. All those things that I just mentioned that are yours in Christ, you don't have those things apart from God. You didn't merely receive something from God's hand. You received God. And that's why you have those things. This is our basis. This is everything here, you guys. I don't know what kind of fellowship we have if we don't have Jesus as our basis. Whatever it is, it's very weak and it's wobbly. Lastly, we see that the fellowship Jesus created is spreading. It's spreading in its nature, and that's what we see here in verses 3 through 4, the nature of this fellowship. It says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Why? Why are they doing this? So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. See, John and other believers have fellowship with God, and so they are proclaiming Jesus, the word of life, so that, do you see the so that, right? So that others might be forgiven. Is that it? No, right? It's so that they too might share in that same fellowship. That's why. It's, it's completely relational. Let me ask you a simple question. That's a good question, though. Do you want other people to come to know Jesus? Like, do you really want that? Or if you know somebody who once was walking with Jesus and now they aren't, do you want them to come home? Why? Why? Is it because you want other people in Gresham to become Christians? so that they would be better people and therefore our city would be better. Like when we see horrible things happening in the world and I hope we pray those people meet Christ. But why do we pray that? Just so they'd stop doing those things and making this world worse for us? Why? Why do you want them to know Jesus? Is that the reason we see here? Notice the effort to proclaim Jesus to others, it's birthed from a place of first kind of satisfaction in God, 
It's not simply dutiful, it seems like, to John. It's not just an ought-to thing. It's a desired thing. I mean, he has joy in this fellowship that he has with God. But he wants to invite them in. Why? He wants to bring them in because he enjoys this fellowship. It's the joy he has. That's the implication of what he's saying. It's so that they too may have fellowship with us. And their fellowship is with God. Notice that the purpose of proclaiming Jesus and this message of the gospel is not merely so that sins can be forgiven. That has to happen, yes. But it's even richer than that. The gospel brings us into fellowship with God. But even richer, it not only brings us into fellowship with God, it brings us to God and it brings us together. So the desire is that you would know Christ so that you would fellowship with me. So we would, we would share in this together, right? John enjoys fellowship with God and others, and that results in John wanting, to others, John wanting others to join in. The nature of this fellowship that we have is that its nature is welcoming. It's, it's a seeking kind of fellowship. It's not isolating. It's joyfully warm, and it's desiring to include other people. And so my question is, is this the kind of fellowship that we experience here at GBC? That including, that inclusion type fellowship. This means that when we are experiencing true fellowship, we aren't closing ourselves off, especially to those who are far from God. No matter who they are, no matter how far gone we think they are, no matter what they've done to us. This initiating happens, why? What does he say? so that our joy may be complete. Our joy may be complete. The word literally means to make full. The point is that John doesn't have a completeness to his joy, and what seems to fill it up is others experiencing fellowship with him. And John is saying, when we have fellowship with you, our joy is filled up. It's filled up. When we have that fellowship. See, the fact of the matter is, that my relationship with God is, yes, it's very personal, isn't it? But it's never private. It's not just a one-on-one type relationship, although that's there. It's a corporate one. And if we get by thinking that it's not, then our joy may lack for that very reason. Uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer once said, the church is the church only when it exists for others. The church is the church only when it exists for other people. And I think many of you experience this very thing. You have a friend, right? You have a family member. You have a child who once walked with God, and now they've walked away from their faith. And you have joy maybe in your fellowship with God, but you long for them to once again share in that fellowship with you. And you might even say, that would make my joy complete, wouldn't it? That's a good longing, isn't it? I think in part we even saw the nature of this true fellowship and it, how it's, a, it's spreading in nature, how it longs for others to share in it as well. We saw the nature of this fellowship, I think, on display this week as probably most of us watched the sentencing hearing of Amber Geyer, the Dallas police officer who mistakenly entered the apartment of Botham Jean and shot him, thinking he was an intruder in her apartment. And she was, what, she was found guilty of murder by a Dallas County jury earlier this week, and at the sentencing hearing, an event occurred that everyone's been talking about. 
We saw Brant Jean took the stand to speak about the impact of his brother's murder. And through all the unimaginable sorrow and grief that he was experiencing, he looked at his brother's murder and he said, I want the best for you because I know that's exactly what Botham would want for you. The best would be to give your life to Christ. I think giving your life for Christ would be the best thing that Botham would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person and I don't wish anything bad on you. After this, he asked the judge if he could embrace her. Have you seen this, right? He said, I don't know if this is possible, but can I give her a hug, please? Please? I think this is really rare to say the least. And one of the judges hesitated for a second and then granted this guy permission, and they embraced. So here you have the grieving brother and the one who caused the grief. And you could just hear the emotion in the room elevating audibly. Guys, God was not finished yet because even after that, this judge with tears in her eyes went into her chamber, grabbed a Bible, returned, and gave it to Geyer. And she told her, you haven't done so much that you can't be forgiven. But let me ask you, what kind of God makes people into these kinds of people? Like, how do we be those kind of people? This is why people are talking, right? Why would John, or why would we, for that matter, be this way? To enjoy fellowship with God and want to share that gospel. Not just, oh, so you're forgiven, so that you too might share in this fellowship with us. Let me put it you a little more lightly. Have you ever tried to give a child a bath before? Have you ever done that? Early on, I would always try to do that, and it felt like a game of tag, I'm going to be honest with you, because I was just trying so hard not to get wet, you know, and the kids, they just, if you sit next to a bathtub with kids, you're going to get wet, right? I remember them getting out, and I have this towel, and I'm trying to defend myself, and they always just somehow hug me or do something, and what happens? We all know, if you're going to give a child a bath, you're going to get wet, right? Why? Because of your proximity to the tub, Right? It's, this is simple science, I think. Maybe that's not science. I don't know. But uh, this is exactly the case, isn't it? Right? Your child is wet. They touch you. You're wet. If God is soaked with initiating grace, and I'm in fellowship with him, I'm going to get wet, aren't I? I am. If you are experiencing that fellowship with the Father through the Son, you're going to get wet with his nature. And if in God's nature he sends his only Son into the world to bring us back into fellowship with him through the costly means of the cross, then my gosh, won't our fellowship that's based on him give us those same proclaiming hearts that seek after others? Do you lack this kind of fellowship this morning? Is there something that you know? Is there someone that you, you, you long or you need to be reconciled to, maybe? Maybe it's a marriage, it's a friendship, it's a family member. What do you think will reconcile you? 
What do you think it would take to even give you the desire to want to bring them home? Maybe it's seeing your story in the story of history. Because we all know that Adam enjoyed fellowship with God in the garden. He was placed in the garden to enjoy friendship and communion with God. But he decided, I want to go my own way. I don't want to live under my creator's gracious care. And fellowship was broken. So what did he do? He hid. Right? What happened? God sought him out. And God made him a promise that he was going to send somebody. And Jesus, you guys, the true Adam came. And he enjoyed fellowship with his father from all eternity past. And he experienced fellowship all during his earthly life. And as he hung on that cross, that fellowship was broken so that we could enjoy fellowship with him forever. Now we can know him and enjoy him, but one day we will know this fellowship fully. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 13, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then what? Face to face. And we know this is where we're headed, right? Revelation 21.3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Guys, this is the goal of the gospel. It's what the gospel does. It restores us into fellowship with God and with one another. The goal is fellowship. It's not isolation. It's not inbreadedness. It's not retreat from the world. It's a fellowship that has a nature of invitation to it. So may we be people who experience this fellowship. And as we do, may our hearts beat for this fellowship of Jesus that we have spread throughout our city. If you will, let's all stand together and as you pray with me. God, my prayer this morning is that we would be a grateful people. That we truly would just see all that you've done for us. That we can have a deep abiding fellowship with you in the deepest kind of fellowship that this world can find. God, make us grateful for Jesus, for all that he's done for us to bring us home to you. And Lord, it's my prayer this morning. God, that anybody in our city or in this place or in other churches gathering that doesn't know you in that way, that you would just open up their eyes to see you, that you'd warm their hearts towards you, God, that you'd give them the faith, God, the place in you that their lives would forever be changed this morning. God, would our hearts beat for more people to come to know you, to join in our fellowship here. And it's our prayer, Lord, that it would definitely completely and utterly be founded upon you. I ask these things in Christ's name, amen.